0: So have you ever thought, I love God, I don't love them? Maybe you've accidentally said that out loud to somebody. (laughs) I love God, but I don't love them. And that them could be, I mean, it could be anybody. It could be the, the, the political neighbor or the political colleague. I love God, I just don't love them. It could be the the person who hurt you or who wronged you. Uh, it could that them could be the person who took advantage of you when you were vulnerable, or financially, relationally, sexually. Who, however, that could have happened. And that them could be someone who just has a different opinion than you have. You know, the thems, those thems in our life <laughs> are, are, are the people that Cassie and I like to use the term and we like to call the Jesus meter people. These are the people in our life that, like, help us know, like, okay, how much like Jesus are we really, and how much of the love of Jesus do we really have in us? They're Jesus meter people. You know, they're the measure of how much I'm like Jesus. You see, one can love others without loving God. The world is full of people like this. The world is full of people who are kind, compassionate, and they truly have, they have a genuine love for others. And, and one can love others and at the same time have no love for God. There are great atheists who have a genuine love for people. But Jesus would teach something And the way, what Jesus would state would be something like this, and it'd show us a truth that no one can love God without loving people. No one can love God without loving people. See, this is the one mark, this is the true mark of one's love for God. Now, when the church makes anything else, the mark, spiritual maturity. When the church makes anything else other than loving others, the mark of spiritual maturity, the bullseye by which we're aiming to become like Jesus, the world will not see Jesus. The world will get a distorted picture, the wrong picture, even the wrong version of Jesus. And maybe this is why Someone in your family or maybe yourself, you walked away from the church. People talked about who Jesus was and they talked about the love of God and they talked about their love for God, but you didn't feel that they loved you. And, and maybe for others, this is maybe why you left a, why you left a previous church because it, 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 you left a previous church because you, you couldn't, they, there was a bunch of thems that saw differently than you did. And you couldn't love them. And so the only way that you could, the only way, thing you could do is to get away from them. And you couldn't love them through the differences, so you found another church. Or maybe that's why you're even here today. And if so, I don't say this to, to really uh, judge you. It's, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. I really want to appeal to you today. Or maybe you, you walked away from a version of faith because you saw Christianity as a religious um, uh, act, and, and it was this, just like this stage by which all these people kind of played their roles, but it wasn't true, genuine transformation. It didn't really change how they interacted with people. You heard the message of it, but you didn't see the, the product of it. And if you walked away from a faith like that, if if you walked away from faith because of of what you saw wasn't in the transformation of people's relationships and and it was different, I want to encourage you today that that was the wrong version of faith. That you walked away from a version of faith that was the misguided version of faith. And see, here's a reality is we all have a tendency to cover up our spiritual immaturity with knowledge. We all have this tendency to cover up our, 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 our spiritual immaturity by going back to the things we know. And we use our knowledge to cover up the truth that we don't love people. And we're going to talk about that more in a moment. Um, for those of you that are new with us, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Casey, and I'm so grateful that we get to share this time together with you. For everyone of you that are at church online right now, and uh, we're so grateful for you. Uh, and we're so grateful for you Quincy and Dalton, and as you guys are watching today, we are so grateful to have uh, everyone uh, of you online with us. Hey Westside, let uh, before we let them know, I just want to let all those that are new online uh, let you know that we. Have a gift for you, and they're posting a link that uh, you can fill out that connect card. We'd love to send you a gift. For those in the room that are new with us, we also have a gift for you. In the back of the room, Miss Alicia will be back there at the uh, end of the service at the welcome table, and she'd love to give you a gift for being with us. And right now, we want to let all of you that are online and everyone that's new in the room let you know how grateful we are to share this time with you. Will you do that, Westside? Yeah. (laughs) So a couple weeks ago, we began this series called Becoming Emotionally Healthy. And in this journey together, we are looking on this. we're, We're growing and going on this journey of becoming emotionally healthy and spiritually mature. And here's what spiritual maturity is. See, this is a series big idea we're looking at. Spiritual maturity is having a healthy relationship with God, myself, and others. This is what spiritual maturity is. It's it's, it's the product. spiritual maturity is where we come to. It's it's our target, where we want to be mature. And the outcome of being mature is we have a healthy relationship with God. Out of that healthy relationship with God, we have a healthy relationship with ourselves. And out of this healthy relationship that we have with ourselves, because we know who we are in Christ through God's love and his faithfulness to us, we then can exercise out of that love and out of that faith of who we are in Christ and have healthier relationships with others. See, the result of spiritual maturity is not knowledge. The outcome of spiritual maturity is healthy relationships based on what we know. And we've been looking at these seven marks or seven principles of being spiritually mature over the last several weeks. And following these principles help us become emotionally healthy. And here's my definition of what emotional health is. Emotional health is measured by my ability to manage what I think, feel, say, and do regardless of what happens to me. And that's what your emotional health is. How do you measure your emotional health? Well, how well do you manage what you think, feel, say, and do, regardless of what happens to you? And in the series, uh, we've been looking at that as we practice these, um, these, these practices that Jesus shows us, as we look at these biblical markers of spiritual maturity, these principles, we become more spiritually mature, and a more emotionally healthy. And those two are inseparable. In fact, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, which is kind of like a, a f- gives us the framework for this series, uh, Pete casero writes this, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And this is why discipleship is so important, because discipleship, is the spiritual journey that we all are on where the Holy Spirit enables us to love Jesus in response to his love for us, to become like Jesus because the Holy Spirit is now alive in us, making us more like Jesus, and we're, and we're surrendering to that process through his truth and his power? And we are sharing Jesus. This is why our church mission is loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and sharing Jesus, because this is the definition that we believe a deci- of what a disciple is. And, and see, it's the purpose of what we were created for. See, you need to recognize something, not just about yourself, but about all people. We are created and called to become like Jesus. You are created, and you are called. And you know something? Every person is created in the image of God. And every person is is created with this, and, and, and God's call is on all humanity to come, be restored into the image that God has created you. Unfortunately, sin has broken that image, and we distort that image by pursuing other marks of success in our life. And, but the mark of success that you and I need to pursue, because there's only fulfillment in finding yourself in becoming more like Jesus. It'll be the most significant that you'll ever have, the most significance that you'll ever have is when you're, when you're more like Jesus. The most fulfilled you'll ever be is when you're more like Jesus. Your identity is in him. And to pursue anything else as your target in life or to seek anything else for your fulfillment in life is to miss out on reaching your God-given potential. All of humanity, Genesis tells us, is created in God's image. And Jesus came, because sin broke that image, Jesus came to fully restore God's image in all who would receive him as Savior and follow Jesus as Lord. See, this means that God sees his image in everyone who is different than you. God sees his image in everyone who has a different opinion than you. And God sees his image in everyone who even opposes you. See, discipleship is more than just acquiring biblical knowledge and knowing truth. It's more than just memorizing scripture. See, Bible discipleship is following what Jesus taught and following how Jesus lived and following how Jesus loved. Jesus' life modeled. It was with integrity with what he taught. And his life modeled what he taught. If you didn't understand it, just look at how he lived. See, he lived in a way to describe to you and I, to show you and display to you and I how we are to live. And the way Jesus lived was he saw people differently so we could see people differently. He saw everyone created in his divine image. People who were different from him liked being around him because they knew that Jesus saw something different in them people who would oppose him (laughs) and thought that Jesus should oppose them would later discover Jesus' love for them and they would surrender to that love and be transformed by that love and they would begin to love those who opposed them and they would begin to love those who had different opinions in them and they would begin to love the people who even would wrong or even hurt them because Jesus modeled that life to them and it was It with integrity with what he taught. And one of these teachings was a, a time where Jesus was actually in a debate with these religious leaders and they were debating about uh, marriage in in, in in eternity. Like who's gonna be married to who in eternity? Maybe you've had that question. If you've had that question, we're not talking about that today. You can look that up in Mark chapter 12. And so in this, um, but we're gonna talk about what he, in this whole debate that, that they have a fair, uh, another person, another teacher of the law we find out. We read this in verse 28 of, of Mark chapter 12 here. he says one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating noticing that jesus had given them a good answer he asked them of all the commandments and when he when they said commandments what they were talking about is what we call our old testament it was there not old to them i mean this is wasn't old because there was nothing new to put in its place yet and um so this was their hebrew scriptures Of all the commandments, specifically the Torah, which was made up of the the civil law, how how do they need to operate together as a people in relationship with God and each other? And and in this this religious, the the ceremonial law and the civil law, relationship with God and with others. And how did, of all these 600 plus commands, what's the most important one? And uh, Jesus would say, the most important one is this. And he would quote Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. This was from a different um, scroll or a different uh, uh, writing. This was actually out of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, to love your neighbor as yourself. To which Jesus, when he saw how this man had answered wisely, says to this man, and I think this is beautiful, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom. This life-giving kingdom is so close to you. And then it was his mic drop moment. No one dared to ask him any more questions. After that, silence the crowd. See, Jesus took the Shema, which is this Deuteronomy 6 4, and he elevated it. He, he identified it, but then he did something more remarkable with the Leviticus 19 passage to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus would elevate that one to be equal with the Shema, this love for God. Jesus would hitch our love for others as a trailer to our love for God. See, you can't do one without the other. Jesus would teach that the most important of all of these Old Testament commands is to love the only true God by loving others. See, your love for others displays your love for God. And Jesus would emphasize this on the night before he would go to the cross. He wouldn't just emphasize this. He would raise the standard and give you and I something that we will never question again, what love means or what love requires of us. If you ever wondered, what must I do? What does love require of me? Well, what Jesus would say on this night will give you a clear answer as to what is required of of you. No longer would people debate over what we should do or how we should love or what we need to do to love or, or, or who we should even love because there was even a great debate in that time. Who do we love? Is it our neighbor and who's our neighbor then? Cause they wanted to justify who they didn't have to love. And Jesus would bring a new command in. And this new command would be a new command for a new covenant kingdom family, which would be the family of God. The church and this new command will govern it will be supreme and it will fulfill every other command that is in scripture on john would record this on the night that jesus would these words that jesus would speak he says my command a new command i give you love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And in the hours that would follow these words that were spoken that night, the hours that followed, Jesus would model and demonstrate how to follow this new command as he would be drug away willfully allow himself to be beaten, whipped to within an inch of his very life, and whatever was left of his strength would be then mounted upon a cross where he would willfully be crucified for all people. As I have loved you. I believe those words would echo in the disciples' ears. As I have loved you. I bet they would echo because they were not words on a page to them like they are the words on a page to us. This was more than that. These were the words of life from the God, the true God who had entered our world and displayed love in the most powerful way on a cross. This is why unashamedly, I use this passage of scripture as often as I can when I'm imploring you and appealing to you to follow Jesus. I will preach on this passage until I die because if this is the only passage we ever know, if it's the only command we ever get, it is the one thing Jesus says, everyone will know me and they will know you are a part of me. This is the one mark of being spiritually mature. See, here's the teaching big idea I want you to grab a hold of today. Spiritual maturity is loving others the way God through Christ has loved you. This is the mark. It's loving others the way God through Christ has loved you. As Jesus was say, as I have loved you, so you must, which is a requirement. You are required to. This is the mark of spiritual maturity that we must love one another the way I have loved you. And we can debate what that one another is, but it's clear throughout the teachings of Jesus that that one another first is our church family. It, it, I mean, it's your family, too. I mean, but then it goes to your it, it's your church family. It, and it's 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 the people outside the church family because it's just not your neighbor. It's those who wronged you. It's even your enemy, because one time you were an enemy of Christ and his love was for you and demonstrated Toward you, and today I just want to help us see and begin to see what this means to uh, for us, and how we can measure our, our, our maturity by this. And what's it mean to measure our maturity by this? And, and, and so because I want us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want, us, I want you to grow, in the, like Peter describes in 2 uh, Peter 3, verse 18, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus as your Savior, that you know how much he has loved you to come and save you. And because you know that and you respond to his love by now following him as Lord. And when he's Lord, there's one thing that is required of us, that we love one another as he has loved us. And so here are four ways. that that I want you to consider, to to look at through the example of Christ and how we should measure our love for God by evaluating or evaluating this measure or the marks of our love for others. And the reason I'm sharing these four with you is because these are four that I struggle with, okay? So we're on the same boat in this. First one is we need to measure love by how we are fully present with others and not distracted. It's being fully present with others. And this is a difficult one for me. See, I've learned that one cannot love well from a distance. One cannot receive love well from a distance because it's hard to receive love from a distance. And we can't love others without being present with others. Jesus, God in flesh came here. God The Son of God sent the Son of God, God the Father sent the Son of God into this world so God could be fully present with us. We need to understand this about the nature of God because this is how we need to show love. We need to become fully present. In John 1, it said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. See, Jesus showed up to show us that love shows up. That's what Jesus does. And we cannot love unless we show up. We cannot love God's family without showing up. We can't display the love of God without showing up to those that need to experience the love of God. See, to love one another means we need to be fully present. And I'll, I'll tell you something. This is kind of hard to do, especially with your own family. Husbands, what about you? I mean, this is, uh, I'm talking to me right here. You know, there are times that my eyeballs will be with my wife, but my mind is not fully present. That's not not love. Love is fully present. Spouses, how do you you love one another? By being fully present with their, not just in body, but mind and engaging and and, uh, will and emotion with them as well. Parents. Parents. I mean, let's just get real here for a second. It is hard to be fully present with your kids, especially when you have all these things to do. But are you fully present? Because time is too precious to not be fully present with your kids. They may have you in person, but do they have you fully because they need you so badly, because they need you to help them navigate this complex world and all they're dealing with? They need you to be fully present. Church family. We can't love one another unless we're present with one another. And we can't love one another expecting an hour or two hours a month to to express our love. And when it's an environment like this and we say we we love each other, No, we need to be present. This is why groups are so important. This is why community outside of this, and and when you think of somebody, engage with them and, and fully show up to be with them. See, if we only gather with one another once or twice a month, how can we love one another? And this is why I love what loving Jesus means to our culture here. See, loving Jesus, we love Jesus by gathering together to love one another. Because this is how we demonstrate our love for Jesus, by showing up to love one another. Because I love Jesus, we're gonna show up to love each other. And then second measure is this, is we need to measure love by how well we prioritize listening to others ahead of judging others. Now, I recognize that this is something that Christians have abused, And therefore, we have a well-earned, bad reputation, that we're judgy people. And, And first of all, Scripture is clear. Let me just tell you something. Scripture is clear. Let me settle this debate. You know, people will say, well, we're not to judge. Yes, we are. We are to judge believers, not unbelievers, let me just make it clear. We are to judge the, 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 within the body of Christ. But and I'll show you in a little bit how we do this. But we don't judge unbelievers. This is what Jesus came. Look at the life of Jesus. John three seventeen says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn or judge, bring condemnation, bring judgment on the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. See, as we recognize something, it's a true, it's a, it's a varying um, of sober reality that those who are outside of Christ and outside the family of God have not received Christ as their savior or follow him as their Lord. They're already judged. They already stand before God judged because they have not received Christ as their savior. This is why we are sharing Jesus and sharing the love of God with us because we want them to receive him. Now, there is a wrong way to judge others. And there is, and Paul would, we just, you know, 1 Corinthians five twelve he would say that um, we need to judge the, those within the church and, and not those outside the church. So when we judge those outside the church based on the standards we have inside the church, we're doing the wrong way, we're doing the wrong thing. Um, and there's a wrong way to judge those inside the church. See, the wrong way to judge is to turn our differences into a moral superiority or a moral virtue where it elevates ourself over somebody else. It makes us look better than them. That's the wrong way to judge because that way is not loving. That way is self-serving. See, we should not use our de- differences to elevate others, but in our differences is an opportunity to listen to others. And we can use this within the church family and outside the church family. When we see others primarily made in the image of God and we don't see others based on their opinion or view or even life, that, that, we sh- that, that when we see them based on God's view of them and how God sees them in his image, then we should be slow to speak and prioritize listening to them. We need to do this. This is what we need to be slow to speak and quick to listen, as James 1 would say. And when, when we do have to that opportunity, we need to use that opportunity to listen to win the opportunity to appeal to them. In fact, this is what I want you to do. I want your notes somewhere around judging. Um, just write the word appeal. This is important. This is what Paul would constantly do to the churches in the New Testament. He would appeal to them. This is what our judging should look like. It look, should look like an appeal to others to change in view of God's love for them. It should be an appeal for, to, for others to love and to follow Jesus and, and to love others the way God through Christ has loved them. It should be an appeal to live your life differently because of what God has done and through his resurrection and through his power of the Holy Spirit has already given you access to. It's an appeal to this. And that's what our sh- judging should look like. It should appeal to, 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 for people to live in a way that is truly transformed because of what God has done for them. And we also should not rush quick to judge. That's why uh, James says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. I, I love what the apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13. He would say, love always trusts. And sometimes what we do is we don't trust. And that's why we go to a judgment because we make an assumption. And you know what an assumption is? I've learned that an assumption is a judgment. And that's a hard thing that when I assume something and the best way to, uh, to not assume something is to fill that gap with trust because love always trusts. And if I trust, I'm going to learn to listen to others. So our judgments within the, the church family need to be more like appeals And we need to be prioritizing listening to others before we jump to conclusions about them. Also, we need to measure love by how we deny our selfishness in the best interest of others. Now, this is not about denying a a core need that you have, but denying your selfish preferences. I love what Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 and 5, he would say, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. You know what patience means? Patience in the, in, 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 in the biblical languages means to be slow-wicked or long-wicked. It means to choose to suffer longer why it's sometimes called long-suffering, because love is patient. It's choosing to suffer as we put the interest of the best other person ahead of our own. It's, it's, that's what it is. And, and Paul would say, love is kind. He, it, it, love is not envy. Love does not boast. It is not proud. And the reason it does not dishonor others and all those preceding things is because love is not self-seeking. Our envy, our boasting, our pride, uh, our our dishonor of others is all because we are self-seeking and trying to elevate ourselves. But love doesn't do this. For love to be sincere, love has to be selfless. That is sincere love that Romans 12 talks about. It's that the interest of other person causes me to deny my selfish preferences, preferences and even sometimes hold my opinions. We need to be patient with people. Does it mean that we don't speak the truth in love? Not at all. We just do it in the right way, as an appeal, when we get to that opportunity. See, love requires us it's, it, it, to be patient, which is not easily angered. And love, at the end of this, says, keeps no record of wrongs, which is this last thing. We need to measure love by how quickly we forgive others. Now, I recognize, for some of us in this room, there's a lot of tension in this. And you're going to say, Casey, you don't know my story. You don't know what they did. You don't know how I'm hurt. And culture will tell us. See, culture is going to teach, and it constantly teaches. In the shame-honor culture that we live in today, culture teaches That withholding forgiveness is a right that we have. And culture will teach us that the only way to not have the person have control over you is that you control that forgiveness and you don't give it to them. That's what culture teaches. But the way of Jesus is the only way of life. And it's the only way to life. And Jesus teaches the true power of forgiveness. It would be his last words that he would model. Some of his last words on the cross Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In his prayer, he would say, in the Lord's Prayer, this model by which we should pray Forgive others so that you will be forgiven. And it's not that our forgiveness is, tend, is, is dependent upon uh, God's forgiveness of us is dependent upon our forgiveness of others. It's that when we understand God's forgiveness of uh, what he's given, uh, forgiven us of, we are quick to forgive others. And this is what the disciples would teach and they'd live by and they'd model. Paul would write this to the church in Ephesus. He would say, instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Because love keeps no record of wrongs. Tim Culler, in his book that he just released this past year, called Forgive, he says this, we can't love without forgiveness, but we can't live without it either. You can't live without the forgiveness of God and you can't love others without forgiving them. So is there someone in your life that you're withholding forgiveness and you need to not love based on what they've done for you? But you need to love based on what the power of Christ's work on the cross is. Because Christ's work on the cross is able to serve justice on your sin. And if it's good enough and powerful enough to serve justice on your sin, guess what? It's more powerful because it's not just justice on your sin. It is justice on all sin. It's justice on the sin of those who have hurt you who have wronged you, who have abused you. It is God's justice. And you say, I am trusting in his measure of justice in all sin. And because I see how powerful his measure of justice is, his blood is that powerful. I have my eyes fixed on him. And because my eyes fixed on him, I can forgive you. It's a measure of our spiritual maturity. See, when God's family sees all people and loves all people because they're made in the image of God, the world will see Jesus. Not denominations, not sex, not different opinions. They're going to see the life-giving power of God as we love one another the way he, God, through Christ, has loved us. Our band's coming out. They're going to play for a moment, and they're going to lead us in a time of worship. But you know what the true worship is? Is how we respond to this. And I, normally, in the pattern we've been having is we're going to pray with one another. Today, we're not going to do this. This is a, a moment for you. They're going to put up four confessions, and as they play, I just want you to think about which one of these do you need to confess today? Do you need to confess before God that you're not fully present? Do you need to confess, Father, I confess I'm too quick to judge others and not listen to them? Do you need to confess um, that I put my interests ahead of the interests of others? Or do you need to confess today, I have not forgiven and you fill in that blank. And then I want you to pray this, Father, help me do what Christ's love for me requires of me. Will you just take a moment? They'll sing in a second and they'll ask you to stand. But uh, will will you guys put that list up, those four confessions? And will you just take a moment and take this time and and just confess right now? Do that. Online, we encourage you to do this. And then we're gonna sing together. online.